This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. What'd you eat for breakfast? A sandwich. <laughs> Wait, what? were there eggs in it? No, it was peanut butter jelly sandwich. Okay. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast <laughs> about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Why are you razzing me about my breakfast? Well, I don't... I, no, I was thinking of whether or not peanut butter and jelly was a conventional breakfast sandwich. I don't know that it is, but it's got like, you know, bread and fruit and yeah, protein in it. It's got did all you, the stuff. Did you eat it before noon? No. Mm, so a brunch perhaps you had. Like, <laughs> I shouldn't be giving you Why is this so important to you? What did well, you eat for breakfast? I ate a hamburger. <laughs> yeah, well, so get out of my butt about it. I ate a hamburger and some couscous because we didn't have any breakfast food. We didn't have any real food in the house this morning. So I just kind of, it was like that. It's like any time like the kid in a, in a show is left alone on like a sitcom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's, I would say hamburger and couscous is real food. You you mean you don't have like a comprehensive I don't have a meal meal with like a through line in your in your <laughs> There's home. No narrative arc to my meal. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about breakfast at Tiffany's by Truman Capote on this week's episode of the show. Andrew, what's mm-hmm. the show again? If anyone sh- doesn't know, the show is overdue. What do we the do? Here? You've been meaning to read every week. One of us reads a book that we haven't read before, and then we talk about it to the other person. Um, and we also do some research on like authors and, and stuff. So, um. Breakfast at Tiffany's um, was uh, published in 1995 by the American alternative rock band Deep Blue Something. It's kind of their only song. Um, yeah. It was it first appeared on the album 11th song, but then was re-recorded and re-released again on a subsequent album. <laughs> and I just, why, how often does that happen? That's, um, that's amazing, actually. <clears throat> Um, and the the song is about two people who don't have anything in common, and so she's trying to break up with the guy, and he's like, "Well, we both kind of liked the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, so I bet we can work it out." And that's the song. And the, another fun fact about it is that it was actually based, like, it was inspired by the film Roman Holiday, not <laughs> Breakfast at Tiffany's, but. The songwriter Todd Pipes, which is a very good name and probably Man. fake, um, he thought that another Audrey Hepburn film would make a better song title. It, I wouldn't listen to a song called Roman Holiday, I don't think. We had Roman Holiday. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't. I that is um that song is in the like dozen or so acapella song tracks i downloaded off of like napster when i was in high school oh boy um and it was one of, it was that like 
era where anytime someone was covering pop music, they just called it Rockapella. And the actual right. band Rockapella had to be like, no, we did not do Breakfast at Tiffany's. No, we have not done these Nirvana songs that you have. Stop oh, yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because nobody knew who did anything. <laughs> Well, and they couldn't fathom that other groups would make these songs. There must only be the one. Only the only Rockapella is there. Um, so we have talked about Truman Capote like years ago. Yeah, we uh, did an episode on In Cold Blood like yes. forever ago. Yeah, I think after we started doing author research, I I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I do know um, that Mr. Capote was born in nineteen twenty. Four and passed in 1984. His real, not real name. He was when he was born. His he his name was Truman Streckvis Persons or Parsons. Um, let me see if I can get that right because I'm worried that my uh, autocorrect has changed his name on. Do you me. mean Truman Streckvis Persons? Yes, yes, not there it Parsons. is. Yeah. Um, and he later took Capote from his uh, adopted stepfather in New York. Um, mm-hmm. He was good childhood friends with Harper Lee, uh, author of To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you are familiar with the character Dill from that book, that is apparently Truman Capote as a young child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just think about that, I guess. Yeah. And then they, they drifted apart later in life. So after he wrote... Um in Cold Blood, which was in the 60s, I think. Because he, he... Or was In Cold Blood 50s? That's a great question. That's a great question. We're really coming in hot on this one. Uh-huh. I didn't make the note of the date of that one. What in about? 1965. There you go. Um, so, yeah, he, he didn't publish another novel after that, and he started getting increasingly into, like, drugs and alcohol and things that would later, like, indirectly lead to his, like, mental deterioration and, yeah. and his death. Um, and he and Harper Lee drifted apart in that in that period of his life, and they weren't friends anymore after that, which is sad. That's a sad that is, story. That is sad. Um, it took him six years to write In Cold Blood, which I don't think I remembered. Um, and it's referred to as like the nonfiction novel, um, like I guess serial the podcast, but as a book maybe. Yeah, it's a, it's a precursor to the the true crime moment, like movement. I don't I don't know that. It's the originator for all that no, stuff, no. but it's a very influential work, and in and it encompasses, I think, the salaciousness and grippingness, and also kind of gross intrusiveness of that genre. Yes, <laughs> pretty uh, pretty well, yeah. And I got this from his New York Times obituary. Someone, um, Stanley Kaufman, reviewing in Cold Blood, took a stab at Capote, saying it. This isn't writing, it's research, which was apparently a reference to Capote writing about Jack Kerouac. This isn't writing, it's typing, which is a good burn <laughs> on Jack Kerouac. I like yeah, that Yeah, Capote's burn is better than the one on him. <laughs> yeah, he seems to have had a knack for that. Yeah. Um, so this story was published in 1958. Um, it was sold to Harper's... But then they didn't want to do it because it was like it was because it was yeah salacious. Very... I keep saying the word salacious; it's a good <laughs> word. But um, yeah, executives from the the Hearst Corporation, which which owned Harper's Bazaar, 
was like, hey, can you change this? Hey, can you change this some more? Can you change it a little bit more? And Capote was like, no, I don't really want to. But then he did a little bit, but then they didn't run it anyway. Yeah. Um, so he had sold it to Harper's Bazaar for $2,000. They said they weren't going to read it. He got really upset and sold it to Esquire for $3,000. Yep. And it was published there in 1958, became very popular. Um, and then like later on, it was it was published separately in its own volume with a few other Capote short stories. Yes, um, yes. Um, apparently some Russia billionaire owns the original manuscript. Like bought it at auction for like 300K. Some oligarch. That's how, that's how you know you've made it. When a random rich person across the world just buys your stuff. Do you think someone will buy our masters in like 50 years? I was going to ask, do you think if if a Russian oligarch <laughs> with a bunch of like oil money came and said, I will buy your podcast, the original MP3s, please, would we would we do it? Well, would he be buying it from us? Or would he buy yeah, it like who after else would we he have, buy it from? Well, like after we die in our oh, from estates. our from our estates. Yes. Yeah, sure. Um yeah, I don't know, and I also don't know if it's like a uh, Martin Shkreli Wu Tang oh, thing, no. where like nobody else can listen to it after the guy buys it, or if he just gets all the all the uh, the ad money from whoever our advertiser is this week. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. Maybe yeah, all that light, all those licenses would transfer. I bet Squarespace. Yes, we'll talk more on that in a minute. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with this movie at all, Andrew? I am not, so we're gonna disappoint people. I think who might want a detailed breakdown of the film. Yeah, we'd uh, we'd planned on Susanna and I had planned on watching it this week, and things just did not uh, work out. It was it's been a week. Um, I know that's got Audrey Hepburn in it. Uh huh. I know it's got George Pippard in it. Sure. Who was the also the main guy in the A Team? Oh yeah, you're right. Did you know that about George Pippard? I know now. I re- recall that. Yes. Yeah. You know it has Mickey Rooney in it. Uh, yes. Mickey Rooney as Mr. Yinioshi, uh, in, like, Yellowface. Yeah, I was gonna say, Rooney and Yinioshi don't sound like compatible surnames. Yeah, it's been roundly critiqued, uh, ever since, um, and I think, you know, Rooney is on record being like, if at the time I, I thought it had been offensive, I wouldn't have done it, but people sure. said I was funny. So yeah, Ugh. but it's a, uh, it's a very popular film. It's one of them, one of them good ones. I get, well, it's a, it's a, one of the famous movies, one of the great films. So famous, in fact, that someone could write a song referencing it and everyone would just kind of get it. Mm-hmm. Like 30 years, 34 years later. Yes. And everyone true. would be like, yeah, I do kind of like that movie Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's take a quick break, Andrew, and I will tell you about the book itself. Great. Good. Craig, I've got a uh, restaurant called Tiffany's that is going to serve breakfast, mm-hmm. and I am going to make a website for it, and I'm going to use Squarespace. Usually I ask you how to help me, but this time I'm going to tell you how I'm helping myself. I can't wait to look up your restaurant on a web page, but first I need to know how you're going to make it. I'm going to make it with Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make other websites 
It lets you showcase your work, blog or publish content, sell products and services of all kinds, and promote your physical or online business. My Breakfast at Tiffany's restaurant is going to sell sandwiches in physical form and online also, online sandwiches. Digital sandwiches, sign me up. Squarespace helps you make your dumb idea into a website by giving you beautiful <laughs> templates created by world-class designers, powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online, including sandwiches, I assume, the ability to customize look and feel settings, products, and more with just a few clicks, and everything is optimized for both your desktop computer and your cellular telephone right out of the box. Woo! Um, you never have to patch or upgrade anything. The hosting is free and secure, and you get 24-7 award-winning customer support. So, Squarespace, if you want to do this, go to squarespace.com overdue, get your free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code OVERDUE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Again, that's squarespace.com overdue. For a free trial, and then the offer code OVERDUE saves you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. School Squarespace. Make a website. So when did Tiffany start serving breakfast? Actually, um, mm-hmm. the real store Tiffany's started mm-hmm. selling breakfast in November of 2017, according to this New York Times article called Finally You Can Have Breakfast at Tiffany. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the flagship store of Tiffany & Co. in New York City, uh, New York State, New York uh, United States of America. 10108. Um, they opened a, a cafe on their fourth floor where you can go and get... Um, breakfast starting at twenty nine dollars, uh, which includes tea, a croissant, seasonal fruit, and a waffle, salmon, or bagel. I don't know, avocado toast probably. That um, sounds like overkill. I don't know if I'm paying twenty nine dollars for breakfast. It should come with a diamond. Yeah, that's you, my yeah. You could get the Fifth Avenue salad with Maine lobster, grapefruit, and poppy seed dressing. Hmm. Or the olive oil poached salmon with caviar and smashed potatoes for thirty nine dollars. Smashed potatoes. <laughs> that's I, that's a thing it makes I see it on sound menus. Sound like they let Gallagher at him, you know, yeah. like with a big old hammer. Yeah. Well, he's got to work somewhere, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tiffany is right. Is this fancy store? Uh, the company's been around since like the eighteen thirties or some nonsense. Um, that sells like jewelry and fancy stuff for your house. Um, I think when I was a kid, I thought that the book Breakfast at Tiffany's and the movie did involve a character named Tiffany. Yeah, I think I thought that too. Untrue. Untrue. I just didn't spend a lot of time in jewelry stores. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> That's true. Um, the the book centers on a character named Holly Golightly. Holiday Golightly is her name. Okay. And no, it isn't. But okay. Well, okay. It's sort of real um and our our like protagonist quote unquote is actually an unnamed narrator who just kind of exists in holly's life he comes to have feelings for her but nothing i i guess it's like the george papard character from the movie but it's my understanding that even he is kind of like fleshed out in a way that the story does not do Uh um they they do not like have a a romantic relationship by the end of the story or anything like that sure um 
So it like opens with him in a bar hanging out with a guy named Joe Bell who runs the bar. Um, there's no neons or television in this bar, Andrew, to tell you to give you the vibe no of what it is. Neons or television. You're just there to like have a drink and hang, okay. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's like they're in the it's a like late fifties at this point, and they have come across like photos from some guy who went traveling in Africa and somebody has a sculpture of a of like a carving of a head that looks like their friend Holly Golightly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um and sh- the story goes from the other guy who lives in the apartment building with the narrator Mr. Yinioshi who we mentioned earlier that uh Holly was traveling through Africa with two other men and that they saw her at the she had been seen at this village or something and then someone carved her face into wood okay um, so she's kind of a kind of a globetrotter sure and I guess no one's seen her in a long time so the book mm-hmm. is kind of setting up this like well what happened to her did she get married did is she dead is she actually in Africa who knows <laughs> uh, and then the rest of the story is like how I knew Holly signed the unnamed narrator. Okay. Here was, here was an important lady in my life and I'm going to tell you about her. Sure. Um, and so it's taking place during world war two. Uh, there's like mentions of rationing and things like peanut butter rationing. Um, that would have put a damper on my sandwich this morning. I know you wouldn't have been able what. to enjoy your breakfast. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy is living in the house. Uh, it's living in like a multi-story you know, apartment, like brownstone walk-up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sees on the mailbox a curious card, he says, Miss Holiday Go Lightly Traveling. Like her, ca- her card says traveling on it. Like she's always going places. She's always around. Um, and he doesn't really know what that means. That makes sense. You know, he first catches his glimpse of her when she is ringing other people's bells so that she can get in. Like, she always comes back at odd hours, buzzes someone else's doorbell, and then is like, oh, I forgot my key. Let that me just, in. That seems inconsiderate and probably the only thing, like, the only way you could get away with that is by being cute or something. or yes. flirty. I don't know. Yeah, because she does end up like, Kind of flirting with Mr. Yoshi, who lets her in, and then she promises to never bother him again for that. Um, and that's how she ends up meeting our our protagonist because she starts ringing his buzzer. George like Capard, yes, for sure. Or Truman Capote, who knows? Really Let's call him George 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 Papard. Um, in the first full paragraph description of her from our narrator, from George, uh, here's what we get, um, Andrew. She has. Chic thinness. Okay, same. She has a breakfast cereal air of health. Same. Also, okay, same. She has a soap and lemon cleanness. Yes, same. She, she has a large mouth. She wears dark glasses. No, that's not me. Not she same. has a face, a quote, a face beyond childhood, yet this side of belonging to a woman. That's a little creepy. Okay, but same. And she's <laughs> and she's almost nineteen. So I think that was a a thing that I did not know coming into this book was that like it's a it was a woman that young. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in my head, Audrey Hepburn is always like 32. Right. Just because I don't know, I'm not like familiar enough with like her whole canon to be like, oh, here's where she was this young and here's where she was this old in the film. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. you're just a a woman who exists and that's like a good mean age in my brain. <laughs> sure. <laughs> like, um, and so she's this like younger woman who is out existing. It's unclear how long she's been living in this apartment. Um, and she like has a guy, you see her coming in and there's like a guy with her that has walked her home after she's out. And she kind of like, doesn't, she's not bringing him home with her. Mm-hmm. She's just like, he's been hanging on, uh, you know he's not a great guy because he says, "You like me, baby? I'm a liked guy." Okay. Same. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and she kind of slams the door in his face. Um, my that's my business card says liked guy. Liked guy. <laughs> I just feel like not too much a little. Yeah. Me thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so before she even starts like connecting with our main character, he is now like capital A aware of her. In that way that, like, I guess sort of when you have a crush on someone and maybe you haven't really talked to them, you're just like, oh, that's a... Now I'm, like, keeping track of that person. Like, uh, like if someone was in your class in high school, you're like, oh, that's... What's their schedule? Where are they going? Oh, I saw sure. them do that thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he is now, like, kind of tracking her comings and goings. He has noticed that she receives a lot of V letters, Andrew. You ever heard of V letters? Is that... Is it like love letters or like what's V? Not Valentine. No, it's uh, it's victory mail. Is that a, like a support the troops thing? It's, like it's, what? Is- it's what you would. It's what they called the letters you would get back, like from the front. Okay. In my head, it was some sort of like virtual mail, like V mail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, and she like sing show t- he's like hearing her sing show tunes on her guitar in the apartment below him she has a cat that doesn't have a name um and then like one night she just uh shows up at his w- at his window like Sean Hunter from Boy Meets World mm-hmm. and she has a problem cuz there's a dude in her place that she doesn't that has like he's kind of drunk and she doesn't want to spend any more time with him so she just leaves and uh, comes to this guy's apartment which i guess is a thing you could do sure (laughs) with fire escapes um and she just starts kind of like a friendship with him where she says he reminds her of her brother fred uh he tells her that he's like a struggling writer um and she is like hey i'm a socialite and i'll like introduce you to someone and maybe your story can get published Mm -hmm. um she also reveals Andrew that every Thursday she goes to the Sing Sing prison to visit someone named Sally Tomato. <laughs> These names are something else. I know. Sally <laughs> uh, Go Lightly and Sally Tomato. And Sally Tomato is like doing, he's an older guy who's doing like five years for mafia stuff. And someone at the bar wrote her a letter that was like, hey, would you like to start visiting Sally Tomato for money? I'll pay you. That sounds like a euphemism for doing drugs. Like, ugh, okay. I will pay you every time you come back from talking with him and give me the quote-unquote weather report. 
this is all very shady. So she is has like an air of plausible deniability where she doesn't know what there's a hurricane in Cuba or it's snowing in Palermo means. But she's just like seeing an older guy sure. in jail yeah. and making him feel good. No big deal. You know? Whom's among us? <laughs> Whom's among us hasn't looked for ways to get paid by visiting people in jail? Mm-hmm. Um, it's snowing in Detroit, but the strawberries are still fresh. That's my code. My code language. The carrots are ripe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Nobody would say that. No in natural conversation. <laughs> um, and so our our George Papard Fred character, because she's now calling our narrator Fred, reminds her of her brother. Um is now just like a window into her life. Uh, there's like a, we meet a bunch of other characters through a big like stag party at her place um, where just dudes show up, cuz, mm-hmm. you know? We find out that she's been hanging on to some uh, rich boy named Rusty Trawler. Yikes. Another and, name. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um Rusty Trawler is, uh, he was orphaned, Rutherford Trawler, excuse me, uh, was orphaned at age five and is, became like a millionaire celebrity. He's had multiple wives. He is a Nazi sympathizer. That's not my favorite kind of sympathizer. No, all these details are just kind of floating in the background. Like, they don't, the book doesn't have like a driving how is this going to resolve plot it's more of a character sketch of holly than anything else mm-hmm. um so we learn about her through all of these scenes where fred is like hey what's your deal <laughs> uh and the big her biggest deal is that she like her apartment is and you learn it through like details like her cat not having a name and her apartment being completely unfurnished despite her like having these big these big boy parties there. Um, and she says, I don't want to own anything until I know I've found the place where me and things belong together. And she That's talks, nice. she talks about um, not getting the blues, but getting the mean reds. And he's like, is that sort of like the blues? And she's like, no, <laughs> it's worse. And it's sort of described as like a version of like angst. Like you're just like, uh, you're afraid and you sweat like hell, but you don't know what you're afraid of except something bad is going to happen, only you don't know what it is. And the mm. only way that she can cope is by going to Tiffany's, where it's like quiet and chill and fancy and the outside world isn't bugging you. And they have breakfast. Well, they don't. She she wishes that she could like just go there and, and have... Well, wouldn't it be great if you could go there and have breakfast and just like get away from the world? Mm-hmm. Um, she even bought those cards that say traveling from Tiffany's just to like drive it home, you know? Hmm. Um, and if she they could do, find, it feels like you could get them printed more cheaply at the Kinko's or something. Well, yeah, but then they wouldn't be from Tiffany's, right? That's true. That's sure. the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says that if she could find a real situation that made her feel like that, she would then like buy furniture and name a cat or, or settle down or whatever. Um, where do you like to go when you get the mean reds, Andrew? When I get the mean reds, I yeah. mostly like to just like be by myself wherever so that I'm not inflicting it on anyone. Oh, sure. Usually I just need to like work it out. And so I'll read or I'll play a game or something until I'm feeling mm. more uh, at ease. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I mean, you would you? I think the thing that's interesting about Holly is she is a uh, like she is this city filling extrovert, um, and so for her to like. She's like all over town all the time. And so I think for her, like getting the mean reds, she has to run away to a place where like it's extra quiet and extra like alone. Mm-hmm. Um I don't I'm like I think I might I'm probably in between. Like I'm with you. Sometimes I just need to be by myself. Um, but I think I'm more of an extrovert by nature. So I don't yeah, know where that's I would definitely true. I don't know where I would go if I got the mean reds. <laughs> I can like if I am if I am going to a party already and it hap- like I happen to have caught the mean reds from someone <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> usually having to go out and like force myself to be sociable does help. It's just not my go to. Sure, 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 sure. And sometimes it's like you can go out and be sociable. It helps if you like know who's gonna be there it's not gonna be yeah. surprising that kind of yeah, thing. yeah yeah like i definitely don't want to be doing small talk with people i don't know at at a at a party when i'm trying to get over the mean reds <laughs> sure <laughs> um so well like holly is making her like she's living off of going to these parties of making these connections with men who like buy her stuff um she has this relationship with Rusty where, like, maybe he's been, like, divorced at least three times. Maybe he'll end up marrying her and she'll have money through him and she'll be, like, squared away. He's not really sure that she loves him or, or if that even really matters. Mm-hmm. Um, we get other characters that she's hanging out with. Mag Wildwood, who is, like, the only other... Man main female character that we meet There's so many names i know uh and we also get uh jose ibarra yeager who is like a brazilian diplomat who at one point they reference is like maybe wanting to be president of brazil mm-hmm. just like you do i guess mm-hmm. um the I hear four- they're letting anybody do it these days oh boy howdy um the four of them kind of run as a pack and end up like you know, they end up swapping partners later in the book. Like, Rusty like, runs off. Like, swinging? No, not on purpose. Like, Rusty okay. ends up, like, running off with Mag and getting married. And uh, and then Holly is, you know, cultivating a relationship with Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole time this is happening, she has this, like, sort of indie comedy relationship with the main character mm-hmm. where it's explicitly not romantic but he is obviously developing feelings for her and she is just like happy to have him around it's not romantic from her side of the thing yeah i believe it is explicitly not so okay um she does like make a lot of space for him in her life um and there's like the early part of the book they're just like they go around city and you know do fun stuff like steal halloween masks from a store and because she's like, hey, sometimes I steal stuff. Like, let's mm-hmm. go. Um, but then they also get in like a big fight when she's wondering like why he bothers to write the, the fiction that he writes, which is like all kind of like issues and, and you know, social issues and, and things like that. And she's like, why would you do that? And uh, they fight about like whether or not it's worthwhile to have literary fiction, I guess. Mm-hmm. He calls her dumb, basically. Uh and she kicks him out and they don't hang out for a little while until and this I thought was going to be a bigger part of the book than it was. A man shows up 
named Doc Golightly. He is a horse doctor from Texas. <laughs> He's got a picture of a younger Holly, her brother Fred, and some other kids. And our main character assumes that it's like, oh, this is her dad. And he's like, nah, I married her a little while ago. Oof, yikes. Uh-oh. When I found her and her brother like in my house because their parents had died and... I had all these other kids from my wife who died, mm-hmm. and so I married her, and it was cool, but I could never really make her happy, and then one day she went for a walk and never came back. Also, her name is Lula Mae Barnes, not <laughs> Holiday or Holly, mm-hmm. uh, and I thought this was going to be a like Mad Men-esque mystery identity. Like a, Yeah, okay story where it was now going to be about them like her keeping this from people or the main character stopping her from getting it exposed or something like that mm-hmm. and no she kind of just cops to it explains that this was a hard part of her life that she's moving on from and then tells the doc to just like go back to texas i'm too wild for you goodbye <laughs> uh and i guess that just speaks to like the style of literary fiction novella that it is like it it doesn't have this mystery hook it doesn't have a like what's going to happen to her or what's going to happen to the narrator you're just kind of like chilling with these characters for a while mm-hmm. um it's been a while since i've read something like this um usually i don't know for the last couple months i feel like we've been reading a lot of like i don't know sci-fi and big fantasy books that are like oh what happens what are what is the world like and this is just like some people in new york being new york people yeah (laughs) i feel like for a while that was a um genre of of book or even of like tv show i think maybe still it is a it's a it's a version of tv show that just like just is allowed to happen and i don't really (laughs) understand the appeal so much like i don't my favorite shows are not the ones where it's just like people hanging out and like saying funny things to each other like i can appreciate that if it's well done but i don't know mostly i need more of a more of a something than that sure i don't like just hanging out i need something to be happening (laughs) yeah i mean there are big events that happen to her in this book so like the it's just it's a lot more concise i guess than i even expected so like the the thing with doc holiday not doc holiday doc go lightly holiday holiday go lightly um he shows up that scene happens and then we never hear from him again um the rusty trawler stuff like happens and then oh wait he married mag and then he's basically out of the book Mm um the the main through line i guess kind of plot wise is that like Later in the book, she gets in trouble with the cops for the Sally Tomato stuff. And <laughs> how could you not? It's so transparently a crime. Somebody's doing a crime. I don't know what the crime is or who's doing it or why, but it's clear that there's crime. Yes. And like that ties back to an early char- an earlier character that we meet who is like a holiday, a, a, a Hollywood agent, excuse me who tried to get her into into pictures, see? Um, and she just kind of wouldn't take to it. She ran away to New York instead of being in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's the guy we go back to to, like, post bail to get her out of jail. 
Um, and through all of this, she is like, it's not, as I said, it's not a will they, won't they between her and the narrator. It is him like attempting to stay connected to her, them fighting, them coming back together, them almost falling out again when she is going to jail. And then he like helps her abscond to the airport to, to get away. Okay. Um, and in that she is like thinking she'll end up with Jose. He breaks up with her. Um, and I don't know, like she is basically Nelly Furtado's. I'm like a bird, like as a character, (laughs) like she just wants to be wild. She just wants to fly away. Uh, and there's, you get a, brief snippet of her attempting to settle after she gets a telegram that her brother dies so this is like a this is like one of the more real worldy things in the book that i think landed for me as like a successful dramatic moment where her apartment is getting trashed and like another woman in the in the building is like she's getting in a fight up there and Mm -hmm. the the main character runs in and no, she's just like completely trashed the place. Cause she got this telegram that her brother has died in the war. Okay. Um, and following that, she like really is when she tries to develop this relationship with Jose. Um, she says she's pregnant. I think we're supposed to believe that. Um, and she starts like buying furniture and starting to learn to cook. It's unclear how good, she's supposed to be at it or not um and like maybe she's gonna settle down and i i wonder if that's supposed to be like she had this anchor out on the other side of the world in europe that she was like waiting to come back and then would continue her life with her brother and then with that gone she is like oh okay i guess this is it um but it's unclear like other than that he's important to her you don't really get a sense of like what their relationship was um which to the which just makes her like she's a she's capote tries to give you these like background motivations but i think she's at her best when she's more you don't really know why she's doing what she's doing um you're just kind of like why is this 19 year old being this type of socialite why is she running with the mafia why is she having these big parties um how is this satisfying to her as a human how is she making any sort of like real connection with people Mm -hmm. um and i was surprised i found a contemporaneous review of the book that basically was like uh this character is interesting i don't buy the texas stuff i don't buy the sally tomato stuff (laughs) (laughs) um and i don't know that i quite agree with that i think um it's an interesting portrait of someone who's like defines herself by transactional relationships that she wishes were deeper you wanted to talk about the the manic pixie dream girl quality you oh, sure. said that um i don't know if there's a way to segue into that or if that is the segue that probably is the segue <laughs> um i was i also found a review of the of the film um where she is referred to as a uh, what does it say? Audrey Hepburn, who despite her normal startled, startled fawn exterior, now is displaying a fey comic talent that should enchant Mr. Capote, who created the amoral pixie she portrays, um, as well as moviegoers meeting her for the first time as Holly Golightly. Uh, I was surprised to see the word pixie dropped there because, like, 
we've talked about the trope of the manic, manic pixie dream girl before and how it is useful and not useful. I don't think it directly applies here because she is basically the main character. I don't know. I think in the in the tropes that we that we are talking about with that device, it's usually like a character who is underdeveloped but is meant to you know teach the main character something. Sure. Um and so it's interesting that she's someone who is mysterious and who is kind of eccentric and has these outlandish dreams for her life, which are all associated with that with that trope. But because we know so little about the main character, and ultimately I don't think he changes very much, it doesn't do the same thing. And it's kind of reductive. I, I was wondering if it was going to apply to this book as when I started it, and I, as I've been thinking about it, I don't know that it does. Well, it's like it's a it's a reductive descriptor to start like the the guy nathan rabin who sort of coined it back in 2005 i think Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. more recently in like 2014 wrote uh, at this point in my life i honestly hate the term too i feel deeply weird if not downright ashamed at having created a cliche that has been trotted out again and again in an infinite internet feedback loop i understand how someone could read the av club list of manic pixie dream girls and be offended by the assertion that a character they deeply love and have an enduring affection for whether it's diane keaton's annie hall or Catherine hepburn and bringing up baby is nothing more than a representation of a sexist trope or some sad dude's regressive fantasy so mm. yeah though um Audrey Hepburn is on this AV Club list I found of Manic Pixie Dream Girls at number 11. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, especially based on the stuff that you've been saying. I don't know that it's really a um, a great descriptor of the kind of character this is supposed to be. I think if you wrote it from her perspective, it would be more interesting because... Ooh. Stay with me on this. <laughs> it would be a book about somebody who's doing a lot of crimes and duping a lot of dudes. Sure. And maybe she is like maybe she is not uh she's got it more together than she acts like she does. That's yes, you, that would be the version of this character if you got it from her point of view. Because what does she do? Yeah, like from the from George Pippard's point of view, right? It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta help this. The, she's just gotten caught up in something she doesn't understand, and I've got to <laughs> help her out. And from her perspective, it's like, oh no, Operation Hot Tomato or whatever is is it's compromised. I gotta, I gotta get out of here. I gotta go back. Like we have to go back. Check. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, like, what was that book that I read about that guy who killed people? Oh, the um, the I almost said the 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 Tom Riddle book. It's not that. It's um. Oh God, what is that book called? Why can't I remember what that book is? Mister Popper's Penguins. No, no Mister. I I, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> Mister. <laughs> Mister Holland's Opus. No, book about. Oh gosh, I'm trying to kills people. It's um Europe. I'm just googling. No, not talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, the talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah, I think there is a. (laughs) You keep as much of that in there as you want. (laughs) Um, the talented Mr. Ripley. I think there's a there there could be a, a talented Holly Golightly. Sure. Book where she's just doing different crimes in different locales and making guys, you know, just just come along for the ride. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that could work. That's the I, version of this book I want to read. Okay. 
Well, the book, the version that I read, uh, she would if if you didn't change too much about her, she would be much way more of an unreliable narrator, and so there might be more like, uh, kind of like flights of fancy versions of what she's doing. That which could be interesting. What does that you could, mean? You could maybe get both. You could maybe get a, a story of Holly Golightly where she is, uh, playing up the Mister Ripley esque version of her escapades but actually she's just trying to figure it out as she goes like maybe she's not a mastermind but she is telling herself she is to like make any of this make sense Hmm. um that that jives i think this fictional version of the book that we've made up um (laughs) i think jives with this with this character who prizes like a bluntness and a truthfulness that i don't know that she even lives up to um at one point she says andrew towards the end of the book says be anything but a coward a pretender an emotional crook uh, a whore i'd rather have cancer than a dishonest heart uh i feel like i saw that at a bed bath and beyond on a pillow (laughs) or a wood carving yeah um it reminds me of the like uh, the the war against phonies from Catcher in the Rye. Mm-hmm. Like one character refers to Holly as a real phony, which is like I don't mean like I don't think he's supposed to say that she is like actually a phony, but she is someone who is playing up a a character and a version of herself in a very you know earnest way. I don't know what it is about the mid 20th century where we were all really worried about whether or not people were authentic. Like what? I, I don't, we're still, people still worry about that. <laughs> that's, that's true. Were we just having a conversation about presidential candidates like last night where we were talking about perceived authenticity? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And yeah. I guess like about Holly in particular, the fact that she's 19 plays into it a lot, like that she is a 19 year old woman on her own in the big city and what the the way that she has chosen to make a go of things is to find men who will give her uh men and i guess larger extent people but mostly men who will like give her time and space and the resources to get by um and i think the fact that she's that young plays into why she's so restless as a personality like i was trying to think of who i was at 19 and if i had been alone in a big city like that not attached to like a college or anything what i would have been doing and i really have no idea mm-hmm. like i feel very fortunate that i was like trapped in a small town in the middle of nowhere with classes to go to <laughs> my sophomore year of college because to i don't know there that type of self-invention would i did i kind of was able to delay that mm-hmm. right um, College is big for delaying things. A lot of things, <laughs> including debt and whatnot. But uh-huh. um, I don't know. Who were you at 19? I knew you, but like, who were you at 19? I don't know. I was some idiot. Yeah, I think that's part of who she is. <laughs> you know? I couldn't have done any crimes. You couldn't have? Well, I couldn't have done good crimes. I mm. could have done stupid crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, she's... That's Holiday Golightly. Apparently she was based on one or several real people. Yeah, there's a lot of conversation about who she's based on. And and somebody said that every one of Capote's 
female friends basically claim to be the inspiration <laughs> of her at some point. Um, there was also some speculation about whether the character was like based lightly on Capote's mother, who oh, sure. has like a similar history. Um, also changed her name from from something more like rural sounding to something more quote sophisticated sounding. Um, mm-hmm. Lula May Barnes becomes Holly Golightly, and Lily May Falk becomes Nina Capote. Capote. <clears throat> um, and yeah, some of the some of the women like models, socialites, actresses who are speculated to be the inspiration for Holly Golightly include uh, Gloria Vanderbilt, Una O'Neill, Carol Grace, uh, Doris Lilly, Dorian Lee, uh, Susie Parker, and Maeve Brennan. Is that how you pronounce that name? That sounds right. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. He apparently nobody, called it. End of the end of the day, nobody knows. He referred to it as the Holly Golightly sweepstakes, which just seems like a <laughs> jerk move mm-hmm. to like have a bunch of friends all be like, "Is the story about me?" And he's like, "Who knows? Who knows?" And he was the author see- is dead, and then he floats <laughs> up into the sky. You see that he was unsuccessfully sued by someone named Bonnie Golightly. I did see that. Who claimed that this was a libelous account. Um, <laughs> she does like toss around some uh, pretty uh, ear-pulling uh, offensive language that is of its time. Um, you know, in, in what she says about lesbians and, and uh, black people and just like she is... A, a mixed bag of opinions Holly Golightly is. Uh, and sh- at times she seems to be doing it to like get a rise out of people. So it's hard to pin down what she actually believes. And I, that both lends to her like, I guess, a lure to the narrator and also to like whether or not you're supposed to feel for her mm-hmm. as the reader yourself. Um, and then there's also just like coming to this book, if you haven't read like lit fiction like classically literary fiction in a while you'll see like hallmarks of classic symbolism like her cat and the the like bird cage that you'll see which is very on the nose about that's just some classic symbolism you know like just shut up (laughs) i just mean like overt symbols that you could teach in a high school english class like the book is short enough that any of the few symbols that that Capote does put in like pop to the oh, so, so this is the kind of stuff you put on a pop quiz. Yes, you could put these on a pop quiz to be like, what are the book symbols? Yes, I I feel like they are really big old like symbols, classic symbols, classic symbols. Uh, I think that's gonna do it for the show, Andrew. Okay, um, sounds good. Sounds good. Time I'm, to go I'm there eat with you. Yeah. Some more breakfast, I think. Um, <sighs> you should let us know what you ate for breakfast at uh, overduepod at gmail.com or twitter.com and facebook.com slash overduepod. Uh, we got a lot of nice messages in response to last week's episode. Y'all making Andrew feel really good. Um, shout outs to Darren, Nancy, Casey, Tysephine, James, John, Hannah, Stephanie, Crystal, Rebecca, Teresa, Gina, Michaela, Wendy, and many, many more. Thank you for your very kind and very cool messages. Everybody was very cool, and I think maybe I'd scared some people. 
<laughs> about how cool to be. About how cool to be. <laughs> you, every, but I'm glad everybody erred on the side of being too cool rather than not being cool enough. Yes. Andrew, if folks need to know more about us, where should they go? They can go to OverduePodcast.com. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. You can use any of those to subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they come out. Usually Mondays, sometimes other days for bonus episodes. Um, we've got a new listener page you can go to to find episodes that we especially like that you can recommend to folks. Um, and we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash overdue pod. Give us a little bit of money. Help raise my help raise my child. My family. <laughs> my family is starving. And I need your money. Oh, we've reached that point, have we? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, you. I'm you're lucky I didn't do it last week. Basically. Sure. Um, what else next week I'm reading Columbus Day by Craig Allenson and then we're also posting our next episode of Stop Homer Time mm-hmm. um, that'll cover the Odyssey books 20 to 23 mm-hmm. um, so the plan for Stop Homer Time um, I'm not sure what the release schedule is going to be like for non-patrons but we're going to do one more episode that covers book 24 and then the you know just wrapping up final thoughts Yep. then we've got one or at least one but probably not more than two odyssey related sort of surprisey things and then we're going to start our new um our new project which i don't know if we want to talk about yet we'll we'll tease it look out for teases this is tease number one is that it exists we have we have big plans (laughs) great uh thanks for uh having uh, for dining at tiffany's with me andrew yeah no problem um i'll venmo you Sounds good. It's $39 for this salmon. Oh, man. Okay. All right, everybody. Don't overpay for breakfast. And until we talk to you next week, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.